Real Men Feel with Andy Grant encourages men to allow and express all of their emotions. Despite what you may have been told, all emotions do serve you. Real Men Feel is committed to engaging in discussions that most men aren't having, but all men can benefit from. All links mentioned in each episode are in the show notes found on the blog at realmenfeel.org. Now let's get to it. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Real Men Feel. This is your host, Andy Grant. This episode is brought to you by mensgroup.com. I know the power of men's groups, and by visiting mensgroup.com slash RMF, that's RMF standing for Real Men Feel, you can experience that power yourself. You'll see a short message from me, and you'll have the opportunity to try a men's group for free. This is virtual, online. You can be part of it from anywhere. It's uh, an amazing platform that engages you with other like-minded men. Uh, you might even find me in there, but it's a great resource. I invite you to check it out. Uh, you know, <laughs> 2020 continues to kick our freaking asses, man. Um, this can be a horrible horribly tempting time uh depending on where you are in your life and the situations that you're currently dealing with but there can be a big temptation to want to escape reality escape what, what we're feeling what we're thinking about what we're faced with and you can reach for that that drug that that drink that uh you know your substance of choice but that doesn't improve or change anything you know uh at best it's a distraction at best you have a momentary uh, moment of peace perhaps but in the long run it can really just worsen your situation um, my guest today is an addiction expert who has worked with addicts and alcoholics for over 20 years. I'm really glad to welcome Dr. Rob Kelly to Real Men Feel. Hey, Andy. Good to be here. How are you doing today? Very good. Very good. So I, I, I know a little bit about your story, and I know that most people don't go into addiction treatment because of just their, their love of fellow man or because they've, you know, they've, they've had some challenges. So, right. Um, and I know at one point you were, a, uh, you were a professional musician. Yes, I was. So... It, is that kind of where it started? Is like the, the cliche of sex, drugs, and rock and roll kind of pull you in? Or, or you know, where did, where did the downside uh, start for you? Uh, I started drinking at the age of nine. I was on stage with my musical family. Mm. Uh, I remember it very well. I was very nervous as a child. Um, so my uncle gave me a beer and said, drink this beer. I drank it, and the whole world changed right there and then for me. Wow. So I guess that was the point that alcohol started uh, its magic on me. And there, it was, there was another 15 maybe years before it started to take a grip. But uh, yeah, at the age of nine, that, was, uh, that changed my life completely. Mm. Now, are, are some people like, like born addicts? So as soon as you take that first drink, that first drug, like it's got your grips? Or is it, is it something that, you know, it does have to build over time and, and that, you know, that, that, that addiction is a process? Here's the interesting part. Alcoholism, you're born with. The addicted brain, you're born with. But drug addiction, you can tech, you can become a habit and a habit become addiction. Whereas alcoholism, you're hooked from the first mouthful of alcohol. So I know people that have the addicted brain that don't take drugs, which is awesome. So yes, you are born as an alcoholic, but no, you're not born as a drug addict. Hmm. Now, you probably won't hear that anywhere else, but that is the truth. I've been studying the brain for 27 years, and that, that's, uh, that's exactly what it is. And that's why you can trace uh, alcoholism back in your family, generations. It's always there, always, period, always there. Now, terminology may change. I mean, my granddad liked to drink, which meant he was an alcoholic. 
but it's the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. So nobody else can diagnose him. So that's how we get away with, well, it's not in my family. Well, it is. If you trace it back, it's hereditary. So the gene has been passed from generation. It may skip a generation, but it's there always. Yeah. yeah. It's so have you said, probably I haven't heard anyone say this, but so, so my experience, um, age 20, I was put into an alcohol rehab and I, my, I, I was depressed and suicidal and I would consciously drink to self-medicate to try to change that. But um, so they told me, like, actually, you, you have you have an addictive personality, you have an addictive brain. So even if you, you've skipped the substances and gone straight to all the side effects. So because I, I wasn't, you know, the, the amount of drinking didn't seem to make me an alcoholic, but I had I had every every yeah. every sign of it. And, uh, and that, was, that was the first time I'd heard of, like, the addictive brain, the addictive personality, even without um, a substance. So, yeah. The I'm, crazy uh, thing is, as well, is people don't realize that. Uh, the alcoholic, uh, the addictive brain, let's call it the addictive brain, uh, that does that, that stops messing with alcohol and drugs, starts to create amazing things. So the guy that started Apple, the guy that started Google, the guy that started Facebook, all these guys have the addictive brain without a doubt. So that's the spin on it. Mm. It's like me, really. I mean, I'm a little boy from, uh, from the projects, you know, and uh, never amount to anything, should never have gone to college. Uh, they call me one of the best minds in the modern addiction world today. How did that happen? Well, I have the addicted brain and without alcohol or drugs, it's amazing what we can and anybody else can achieve. There's just no limit to what we can achieve. And this is what people don't realize is alcoholism and addiction. It's not a curse. It's a superpower. Change that, change the neural pathways around and let's, let's start conquering stuff. You know, do you want that house? Do you want that car? Do you want that girl? Do you want that job? You can have it as long as you realize what's going on in your brain. So as long as we leave the alcohol alone, uh, which is, there's a process to do that and the drugs alone, you can become very successful. Hmm. So is that kind of where the myth of the, uh, the to be a really creative person, you've, you've got to be a drunk or to be a great writer or a poet, all this tortured mind sort of mentality? Yes and no. Yes and no. I mean, uh, look, just got to look at the Beatles. Some of their greatest stuff was uh, written under LSD, allegedly. And uh, so yes and no. I mean, most artists go that way. But um, it all depends on the personality and most of all the upbringing, because where there's alcoholism, again, not so much drug addiction, but where there's alcoholism, there is always childhood trauma, always. Mm -hmm. And that's what you need to look at. If we if we can, the brain is remapped after birth with the alcoholic brain during childhood. And, and, And a lot of people go, well, that can't be true. Well, we have to look at what's called trauma and child abuse you know anything less than nurturing to the alcoholic brain is child abuse mm. get off there you stupid idiot how many times have i told you you're not as clever as your brother that's torture i will take that on board and my brain will use that at the most inappropriate time to come up and kick me in the ass and therefore i relapse yeah got it so um I've seen a few places that you're called the, the Gordon Ramsay of, of addiction treatment. And so does that mean like your centers have really good food or that you swear at, <laughs> you swear at people? <laughs> That's the best one. I love that. Yes, I love that. Uh, we like to think so, but no, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of tiptoe along um, what I do. Uh, I curse a lot when I'm with patients. This is what makes our program so special. So I get very aggressive with the disease, not the person. So I've been, I always curse, I always shout, I always scream, 
You know, you will do as I told. I like to say the difference between me and a therapist is a therapist will ask you how you're feeling and how your day's going. I will tell you how you are feeling and how your day's going until we get the disease manageable. And therefore, it's not your knee-jerk reaction every time. And that's what we specialize in. We have a program. It's a one-off program that I design. Nobody else is doing it. And, you know, I've heard people go, well, all treatment centers and all IOPs are the same, aren't they? Well, I don't know an IOP that has a 97% success rate and will offer you a money-back guarantee if you relapse. And when I say that, people go, that's crazy. Well, you've only got to look at my past to realize this isn't a job. This is a passion. I'm sick to death of watching fathers lose daughters like I did. I'm sick to death of moms dying through worry like mine did. I'm sick to death of of good people being rejected by society and being stepped over while living on the streets. So I created this program that's a guaranteed program. And we only take on four patients at any one time. So it's not about the money. It's about let's start getting people well, because at the end of the day, Andy, the reason why there's no there's not a load of alcoholics there who's got well and got on with the life is there's no money in recovery. There's money in treatment going back, going back, going back, you know, taking pills. You can't treat drug addiction with a drug. The brain doesn't know the difference between a pharmacy drug and a street drug. And that's what people keep saying. Well, I'm on, you know, suboxone. I'm doing okay. No, you are not. Stop fooling yourself. I'm not going to get into that argument with you. Just ask ask yourself, does the brain know the difference between the labeling on the box? Because mine doesn't. Mm. I don't know about yours. So stop fooling yourself. Mm. So you got me all excited now, Andy. Good. I like you excited. Good, good, good. Uh, So could you uh, please define what an IOP is? An IOP is an an intense outpatient. So you would would, uh, visit us once a day for an hour for 90 days. Um, or you would spend an hour a day on telehealth, which is what we, we've been doing telehealth for eight years now. It's like four week, four months ago, all of a sudden, everybody was a telehealth provider. Mm. It's not as easy as that. We have a telehealth program, second to none. So it's an hour a day, 90 days, changing neural pathways, changing your behavior, you know, getting the family back together, getting you that job, that car, that house that you've wanted all your life, and really just bringing your life together. The alcohol and the drugs are a given. I will get rid of them, no problems, by the way I work on your brain. But the other things in life, let's start building and looking for them as well. So we're, we're like a concierge uh, IOP is what we call ourselves. Cool. So I always kind of thought that relapse was just part of the addiction journey. Like you, 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 you know, maybe after your third relapse, you can finally find a, a, a treatment, a way to live that, that lasts. But you're, you're, you guarantee no relapses at, at all. No relapse. I mean, relapse is part of the the, the uh, uh, problem. Relapse is part of the addiction. Relapse is not part of the solution. And this is what people don't understand. You know, you don't have to have 10 DUIs. You don't have to, you know, become homeless or lose your job to realize. But it is a self only self-diagnosed illness in the world. 10 DUIs do not mean an alcoholic. So if, if we, in an assessment, because that's what we do first, we will distinguish whether you're the real alcoholic or whether you are a heavy drinker that abuses alcohol. There's a huge difference, though people will not be able to tell the difference, but there is. Hmm. So, so there's a difference, but people can't, so even the person in it can't tell? Sometimes, like if- no. Sometimes. Uh, when you take the first drink, can you stop is the biggest question we ask. And if people say, well, not really, I have to finish off and go, you know, blackout that night. Yeah, well, you're probably alcoholic. But if you can, if you can go out and drink alcohol 
and start getting in trouble. And then the wife or the doctor comes to you or your boss and said, if you don't stop drinking or cut back, you are fired. I will leave you. Or the doctor says you're going to die. If you can cut back or stop, you are not an alcoholic. You see, there's a, we work with the police as well. There's a difference between the Friday night drunk and the Friday night alcoholic. One needs to be locked away. One needs to go to treatment. Because when alcoholism is at its rife, we do not have a choice. We do not have a choice. And, and that's where the defining line is. If, if you can choose to stop drinking because you're in trouble, you're not an alcoholic. You're just someone who abuses alcohol. Get your shit together. You know, stop being a kid and childish and start being the father or a husband you're meant to be. Playtime is over, guys. But with the alcoholic, he can't do that. My, they took my kids off me. I couldn't stop drinking. You know, I lost my house, car, kids, wife. I couldn't stop drinking. You know, that was faced with death on many occasions through suicide because I couldn't stop drinking. When you're in that stage, then you know you're an alcoholic because alcoholism is a very serious disease for which there is no cure, by the way. Mm. Hey, but chill out. There's no cure for the common cold or food poisoning. But we can take a few simple steps to make sure we don't get either. And that's the, that's the basis of our program is you can have a, this, this day at a time, daily reprieve, a stay of execution on a day-to-day basis, and you can live a life beyond your wildest dreams. I guarantee it. Hmm. Hmm. So then you, social drinking, that, that is a thing. It's not just as alcohol is bad for every human being. Some people can, can li- live fine with it, and some people just really can't, and that'd be the alcoholic. Hell yeah. I mean, I, I love people that drink. My wife drinks. Not, I mean, she drinks like once every six months, but she'll drink. Some of my friends drink. If, listen, if I could drink successfully, I'd be out most nights. I really would. Because the, the habit in, in England is to come home after work, stop at the pub, have a few beers and go home. I love that. Don't get me wrong. If I could do that for a second, I would do that. But the problem with me is when I stop in for a beer after work, is I go missing for three months and I wake up in different countries. And there's a lot of people being hurt and I have to go to hospital or jail before I get sober. And, and that's my difference. And today I know that because I battled for, for months and months, if not, you know, years and years and years to try and drink like you do or try and drink like other people. And it, no matter which way I tried it, it always ended up the same. I would end up in a psychiatric unit or I'd end up in a jail cell. Hmm. That's the, they, there would never be any other way. Andy, I would never wake up in a bed or somebody else's bed going, whoo, I don't remember last night. It was always strapped to a bed or in a, in a prison cell because that's how crazy my alcoholism got. And I was a very violent drunk. I, I, you know, I'd wake up in, in prison and people go, well, you knocked three policemen out. And I'm like shocked. I mean, I was a policeman once. I would never do that. But that's where alcoholism took me. I black out. You know, I hear people go, oh, I had a drink last night. I blacked out for like six hours, I black out for six months at a time. Wow. You know, it's crazy. And how I haven't killed somebody, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And did you make many attempts to, to, to get sober? Loads. I mean, literally hundreds. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I got married and uh, it was kind of, I'll cut back. And then when I had my first child, I swore to my wife. I held my child as she was born. I passed it to my wife and I said to my wife, I'm done with alcohol. Now I'm a father. It was the worst four hours of my life because that's how long I lasted. So when the second baby was born, my youngest, I took two Bibles to the, to the hospital with me. And the second one was born, same again, in my arms, passed back to mom. 
got the two Bibles up, put a hand on each Bible and swore to God, my wife and everyone else in the room that I would never touch alcohol again. Six hours later, I'm drunk. And, and that's when I kind of knew I'd ne- I wouldn't stop drinking. But I'm, I've got the alcoholic brain, so I'm always earning good money. I'm always doing great. So that masked my alcoholism. Well, look at the house we're living. Well, you have a brand new car in the drive. In fact, we got three cars in the drive. There's only two of us. You know, we have one specially for us. How can you call me an alcoholic? I know what an alcoholic is. It's the guy on the corner with the, with the big coat and, and the string ties around his waist with a brown paper bag stood around the fire warming his hands. Everyone knows what an alcoholic looks like. Well, apparently they don't because that was me dressed in a business suit, driving a brand new Mercedes with a Rolex watch on his arm costing $29,000. That was the chronic alcoholic. So being a highly functioning alcoholic can actually just, just, well, not actually, I mean, it, it prolongs the problem. It does. Because if I, if I would have, if I didn't have any money or I didn't, you know, I couldn't mask it and I was trying to scrounge money, maybe I'd have got help sooner. But, you know, I would go into treatment centers because my wife was moaning and, you know, on the way home from a 30 day treatment center, I would relapse and drink. I mean, there was just, you know, no, I just couldn't stop. I didn't realize that though. That's the other crazy thing about alcoholism is everybody else you know, when, when, they took, when the authorities took my kids off me, when my wife left, when my parents threw me out, when I lost everything completely and ended up on the streets, I still didn't think I had a problem. It was only one night when I dropped to my hands and knees and started to cry like a baby that I realized that I couldn't stop drinking. And that was a horrific time. And it took all of that before I realized because I would never face defeat. I was fighting at an early age. Where I come from, you either fought or you were picked on. So I karate, boxing, you know, wrestling, anything you could mention, I was into. So nobody could take me down. Mm. You know, I was just wouldn't be beat by nobody. I feared no man, completely no man. So to admit complete defeat with this alcohol thing that I saw other people drinking with impunity, by the way, you know, they had no consequences at all when they drank. I had all the consequences. It was like, I ain't doing this. I, there's no way am I admitting defeat. Johnny around the corner is an idiot. And he goes out Friday and Saturday and drinks and gets up for work. I want to try and do that. So many attempts, so many failures. Do you have any idea of like, like so I get that there's the addictive quality, but why, why would you, why I want to be able to drink? Like why, why would you look up to someone's ability to drink? Like, why is that something to chase? Because I couldn't. And I was always conquering things that I couldn't. Well, you can't do this. Hey, Rob, you can't go to college. You come from a council estate. You come from the projects, really. I went to Oxford. Next. Well, you couldn't be a millionaire. Well, I am. So next. Well, and you just, I just kept conquering and conquering. Hmm. It's like when I went down to, when I become a session musician, I mean, I know I started at a local radio station, but at the end of the day, I end up at Abbey Road. It, I'm always doing the best of the best. Second best is never good enough for me. It always has to be the best. And that's just the way my brain, it works. Hmm. So how has the, uh, the global pandemic uh, affected substance abuse? Are more people using, are more people looking for recovery or like what, what's been the experience? We thought that because people are home a lot, that the recovery would take off, but it's not. It's turned the opposite way. Hmm. Alcoholic sales have gone up by 31% in Texas. I know for a fact that, uh, you know, certain 12 step rooms are full these days. People are struggling because they have no, no, no 
absolutely no interest in getting sober while there's so much scare and fright about. Most people lost their jobs. Most people know they're going to lose the jobs. You know, it's just it's just absolute mayhem. But, you know, people are drinking more and more to try and forget it. Yeah. And that's what I always thought from, from my own experience and, and uh, working as a coach with clients and even just seeing friends that, you know, we reach for that drink and that drug to avoid feeling like we're, we're af- yeah, we're afraid of what we might feel now. So let me let me numb that. Let me escape. So is is that a big part of recovery being being willing to, to feel the fear that might be hitting you in any given moment? Definitely. Without a doubt. And it takes a lot to come to that place as well. Psychologically, it takes a lot. But uh, any any fear at all, the alcoholic will drink for whatever reason. I mean, literally, I mean, you'll find a reason. Uh, but, but right now, there's a lot of people out there drinking and they're drinking uh, every single night and they're drinking to blackout status. Now, I don't know whether they're alcoholic or not. That's up to them. But there is a lot of abuse of alcohol. There's a lot of abuse of drugs. Uh, I know literally 16 people that I know of in San Antonio that's relapsed because they lost the job. The fear, the fear today. I mean, I, I, I don't, but I used to live paycheck to paycheck. You know, can you imagine if, if you're in that situation and the pandemic comes along, you lose your job through no fault of your own. They reckon four weeks and the, the, the guys are claiming your house back. The guys throwing you out because you can't pay your rent. They're, they're towing your car back. Can you imagine doing that for no, no, no even fault of your own? Four or five weeks in, they're, they're starting repossessing stuff. Mm. It must be terrifying. Yeah. So you, another kind of kind of common cliche is, is the need to hit rock bottom. And so is, is that really part of it? Is someone has to hit, they have to decide they want to change. Like they've got to, it can't be forced upon you. It can't be the courts or your family. Like you got to hit a point where you like, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to, to change this. Exactly. And, and most people think rock bottom's losing everything. It's not. We picked a, a, a girl out two years ago it was her rock bottom. And we picked her up from one of the most expensive hotels in Chicago. She was in a suite there costing $5,000 a night. She was drinking champagne worth $1,000 a bottle. And we brought her back. That was her bottom psychologically. So we're talking about a psychological bottom. We're not talking about a material bottom. You don't have to lose your kids, guys. You don't have to lose your house and stuff. You just have to say to yourself one day, you know something? I'm done. I can't do this anymore. Every single day you're drinking, blacking out, don't know what you've done the day after, hurting people around you. One of the biggest myths as an alcoholic now looking back is I used to say, well, I'm only hurting me. I'm not hurting anybody. That is not true. That is not a true statement. When you get well, because you will, if you step into the right, you know, treatment centers, um, you will look back and know quite well that you was like, and I was like an infectious disease. We infected everybody we came into contact with. And there are still consequences from me all these years on with my daughters who still suffer from trauma as a kid for what I used to do. So I really wanted to ask what alcohol and drugs are really a symptom of, but it's not, I mean, I figure you already answered a few times. So it, it's, it's, it's trauma. That's the trauma the and, and the alcoholic brain is the disease. Um, uh, alcohol and drugs are the symptom. So alcohol, believe it or not, has very little to do with alcoholism and drugs, drug addiction, because it's the symptom. You know, what we're looking at, we take the alcohol away, we're still left with that damaged brain. That damaged brain that wants to self-sabotage on a daily basis, because that's what my brain is like. My brain will self-sabotage if I'm not careful. I've got to watch internal dialogue, is I've got to watch. And, and who's in my circle? 
You know, I, I went to a, a, a California once to speak and there, there was a thousand tickets sold. So we know there was a thousand people there. And at the end of the talk, it was customary for everybody to come over and shake your hand, you know, and say thanks. Andy, 900, and I, this is true, 999 people came up and said, you were amazing. You changed my life. It was phenomenal. One guy came up and said, you were crap. You were very loud, very aggressive, and I didn't like what you said. Have a guess who I concentrated on for the next three months. It was the one guy, and that's the alcoholic brain, and that's what we need to look for is, you know, the old nursery rhyme, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is not true for the alcoholic. Mm. Words can destroy me and have done in the past where I've relapsed on, on what people have said to me or talked down to me. So I just have to be really careful. Right. So some of that, that tendency to the negative. All the time. Yeah. All the time. Every time I do a talk, every time I do a lecture, you know, on the way home in the car, it drives my wife absolutely crazy because i'm picking it apart or i should have said this or i should have said that you know no you did an amazing job you got a standing ovation yeah i know but they were only doing that because to be polite and she's like no you they were good you was telling them stuff they never heard before oh it's only me what the hell can i you know teach them and it's like are you crazy you know when i look at my life now it's like it's never good enough one thing i know today andy and, and i've tried to accept is i'm never going to be tall enough I'm never going to be thin enough. I'm never going to be blonde enough. And I'm never going to be rich enough. And once I accept them traits, it's never going to happen at my age again. You know, I, I start to realize that today is, is one of those days that I can cherish. I, we, me and my friend found an old photograph some, some years ago. And it was a photograph of me and him 10 years ago. And, he, and we looked at it and it was like, oh, my God. Look at that, Johnny. And he's like, oh, wow. Those were the days. Look at that. We looked amazing. Do you know? The actual day that was taken, I was struggling, thought I was too fat, thought I didn't look good, thought today was a mundane day, took it for granted, and yet we're looking back saying those are the days. So what if today is one of those days? What if we're going to look back today in 10 years' time and go, wow, that time I was talking to Andy on that podcast was an amazing time. So how I live my life today is I have an amazing time because I know this is one of those days I'm going to look back on. Right, right. Yeah, I, uh, every morning I get up and I, I, I journal. And one of the things I write every single day is today is a wonderful day because I choose to make it so. And so that, that really is uh, you know, part of us taking responsibility, taking ownership for our life. And if, if you don't like your, your experiences, your feelings, you, you've got to take some action. You've got to do Change something it. about it. Yeah, That's what people, people make practical decisions based on fear. And that's where they're getting ruts. And that's when a Sunday night, they've got a horrible feeling. God, it's work tomorrow morning. You know, if you don't like your job, change it. If you don't like your wife, change it. You know, the, the, you can change this stuff. The brain is the most powerful organ that you've ever heard of. Let me have computers. Never mind the latest Apple phone. The brain, you can accomplish anything. Look at quantum physics. Quantum physics tells me, let's say a basketball court, that I can be 25 places at the same time on that court. Because the same time, Andy, I can be 25, up to 25 places. Where do I want to be? I want to be over near the goal. So as soon as I get the ball, I could pop it in and be the hero of the game. Well, how do you get there? I walk over and I take that position because I'm already there. I can visualize myself there. So I'm going to walk over and take it. And life is as simple as that. If you can visualize it in your head, you can hold it in your hand. And this is where people are going wrong. They, they, they're scared to dream. 
It's like the guy sat in that business that you're going to for $9 a day and he's on half a million dollars a day is no different to you. It's no different. It's, two, it's, it's 2020. Yeah, if you haven't got a college degree, Google. Google gives you anything and everything a college degree. I'm not saying go to, not go to college, guys, but I'm saying more people now with no college degrees are being successful because this is the year that you need to take action and change your life if you don't like it. I have a company where people go to work on a on, on, go to bed on a Sunday night going, wow, I can't wait to get to work on a Monday because that's what it's about. And so stressing earlier again that 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 trauma is the is the is the disease. So are there actually are there people that are that grow up trauma free? Yes, of course there are. Yeah. I mean, we're talk- I'm talking about the alcoholic brain with the trauma. Normal okay. people. Yeah. I mean, it just depends what family they grow up in and how they do. Poverty stricken family doesn't mean that there's that, 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 that that's trauma and, and, and rich people there isn't. That's just not the case. Um, so it all depends how your parents bring you up, uh, what traits they learn, what values you learn, what your core beliefs are. And lo- loads of people grow up without childhood trauma okay. uh, because trauma to them uh, would be a car accident or a, or a parent dying or something catastrophic. With the alcoholic brain, it doesn't have to be that. Remember, going back to words. So words as a child can damage my alcoholic brain and remap it to think I'm never going to be good enough and I'm never going to fit in anywhere. And that's two, another two core traits for the alcoholic. You know, I worked with a guy once and his father was a, was a runner. The guy was 28. His father was a, a, a competitive runner in the Olympics, long distance runner. And of course he wanted his son to be a runner, but his son turned out to be an alcoholic and didn't fit in anywhere. And after going through a lot of trauma work with him, taking him back to any, that race, because there, there were four people in the race and the top three got t-shirts, first place, second place, third place. He come fourth by about two seconds. And what we found out is his dad was very disappointed with him and scolded him for not trying harder. For the last 22 years, he was chasing that T-shirt. And that's what destroyed him. We have to realize that's the alcoholic brain that can get damaged by what parents say. Right. Right. Or not say. Right. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. It's so it's, it's not, it's not just the words. It can be the lack of words. Without a doubt. How many, how many people out there have not had enough attaboys from dad or mom? You know, it's always the same. And even today, I try and compliment three people every day. I mean, a prime example, a couple of years ago, uh, I was doing a, a lot more TV. We had huge offices in Dallas and we was, I was at the peak of, of, of my career. And, and somebody said, don't you think Dr. Rob's really good? And this guy said, oh, he is amazing. I work for him. He is absolutely amazing. So the guy said, have you told him that? And he went, well, no, because he already knows. What's the point of me telling him? Well, that's the point. We don't know unless you tell us, yeah. you know, I've not got my own yardstick. It's, but people think you already know. People yeah. think that you, Andy, you do your show. It's like, okay, well, it does your show. Well, it's just what I know. This show that you're doing is making a difference to people listening, whether it be one person or a thousand people, you're making a difference. What you do is saving lives. But I bet nobody's told you that, but it's the truth. You know, I'm, I don't go on any show to the lack of it. It's bloody uh, 11.30 in the, in the morning. You know, it's, today's my day off. Why do I come on this show? Because of the good things you're doing and because it's worth it and because it's going to be an amazing show, an amazing time because you're a good guy. But how do you know that? If people don't tell you that. And that's a prime example. Yeah, you right. never know. Yeah. And t- so I found this in, 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 in my, hmm, 
making a better life and and getting away from from suicidal and and uh, de- depression, suicidal thoughts for a long time. That that service was a big deal for me, and service always made me feel good. Is that something that you've experienced? Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. So when I say thank you to somebody, or when I'm kind to somebody, dopamine is released in my brain. If you don't believe me, guys, go and Google it. Uh, so so I like dopamine. I mean, it's a natural high for me. I like it. So I'm always thanking people. I'm always telling people what a great job. Now, I don't lie. You know, if someone's a dick, I can't tell them doing a great job and everything's great and you're making a difference. But when I find people, I tell them because that's part of my recovery. You know, it's helping people, building people up, never tearing people down is is part of my deal. Because when I was homeless, that feeling when people stepped over you, when you was begging for 10 pence at a time, or 10 cents, and they step over you with disgust. I, I never want anybody to feel that. You know, it destroyed my life. Absolutely destroyed. And I, and I fight on a daily basis of whether I'll be good enough because of them homeless days, you know. And I, I just never want anybody to be in that situation if I can help it. So I recover out loud so people can recover in peace if they want to be. But I'm the mouthpiece. I'm the guy out there shouting this. I'm not anonymous, but I so much value your anonymity. But not for me. I introduce myself as Rob Kelly when I go anywhere. If you want to find me, look me up. Two Bs, you'll find me all over the internet. It's just part of my deal. I'm always trying to help people. So you've lost everything when you're homeless and you're still, you can't stop drinking. So, so was there one thing or was a series of things that finally got you to shift? One thing. One thing only. So it's two. It's two thirty in the mornings ish. It's pouring down with rain. It's freezing cold in Manchester. I'm on the back street, a cobbled road, and uh, I've got no shoes on my feet. Someone stole them the night before, so I'm feeling pretty crappy. You know, I'm just coming out of my drunk, and I fell down to my hands and knees, and I started to cry from my belly. When I look back now, this was the picture. I'm on my hands and knees. It's pouring down with rain. The rain's hitting the back of my head. It's coming around here, and my tears and the rain are hitting the floor of this cobblestone. And I was crying from my stomach, that achy, achy cry. I remember looking up to the sky and saying, as an atheist, if there's a God up there, I can't do this on my own anymore. 30 seconds later, a guy walked around the corner with a little Bible in his hand. And he said, hey, do you want, are you okay? And I said, no, I'm dying. I was done. You know, I was done. And the real reason why I was crying is I I realized I couldn't stop drinking. That's the reason why I started to cry. Uh, From that moment onwards is the reason I'm here today. Because from then on, you know, he took me to a 12-step meeting again. But I met a guy in there that took me through a program I got into a program that changed my, me from better and uh, life just keeps getting better and better and better on a daily basis. So what are some common mistakes people make in their, in their treatment? First of all, they have, they have lack of belief in oneself. Secondly, uh, they seek treatment from just anywhere. You, you can't do that. Thirdly, they keep silent about it because they're embarrassed or the family's embarrassed. You have to start dialogue with somebody. Alcoholism and addiction wants you in a little one-bedroom apartment with the blinds closed and the letterbox taped up and the phone off the hook or turned off. That's where it wants you. And when it gets you there, it will kill you. So when you start talking to someone and sharing this with somebody else, 
hey, what's the worst can happen if you confide in somebody? You find out you're not an alcoholic and you control this shit? Unbelievable. Fantastic. Go and live your life. But I would rather you find out you have problems early than leave it to how I did because it was a long, only 25 years I've not seen my daughter. At the age of three, they took him off me. Three, one and three they were, but the eldest daughter, the age three, when they took him off me because I'd been on a stupor uh, and they'd not been changed for three days or fed, the authorities took them off me. And my daughter says three things as she's walking down the path. She said, Daddy, Daddy, please don't go. So I'm crying. She's crying. She said, Daddy, Daddy, please get better. And now the police are crying. It's a sad state of affairs. And she got to the gate with Mummy and the authorities and... and uh, uh, nanny, they open the gate and she turned around to me and, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. I'm getting emotional now all these years on. But that's the last thing she said to me for 25 years. Mm. Only two years ago, and that's the title of my book, by the way, we'll get into that shortly, but Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. That's what she said. Two years ago, she got a contact me on Facebook and she said, Dad, I've seen all the wonderful stuff you're doing. I want to see you. So I jumped on the next plane. I went over there, me and my wife walked up to the door and she's there and we held and we cried. And, you know, it was just absolute miracle. And then she said, I want to show you something. And we walked inside to her apartment and she handed me my nine month old granddaughter. Right there and then I knew that I was doing the right thing and that we'd come full circle. Mm. Only then did I say, attaboy, Rob. You've done it. The rest of the stuff, you know, the million-dollar house, the crazy cars I drive, the, the money in the bank, the, the, all that stuff is material to me. It doesn't mean nothing to me. If I lost it all tomorrow, I, that fine. I don't care about that. I have my daughter in my life. I have my sister in my life. I have my dad in my life. I've got a beautiful wife. I have four English bulldogs and two cats. That's my life today, and I absolutely love it. And, mm. and, and it's just a success story. Mm. Yeah, beautiful it is. And I'm glad you're part of so many uh, other success stories and, and, and spreading that success. Um, th- there's something I, sh- I say often that, that your story of like how addiction wants you alone and, and shut up and phone off the hook and living alone and all that and uh, silence kills. And addiction uh, yeah, well, simply oh, seems part of that. Yeah. And alcoholism and addiction is like an abusive husband. I've just thought of this now. Uh, there's no signs. There's no bruises. They're all hidden up. But he wants you isolated away from your friends, away from your parents you know, in that room where damage can be done. And psychologically, the worst thing for a human being is isolation. You've only got to look at the stats on death row to find out how insane you can go. And that's where alcohol will take you. Your world will be as far as your arms go wide. That's your world. As long as you get alcohol. You see, if you're, if you're drinking a lot and you don't know if you're an alcoholic or not, I should tell two questions. When I take the first drink, can I stop? And secondly, while you're drinking down the first beer or the first bottle of vodka, are you thinking where you're going to get your second one from? So you mentioned um, when you were homeless and, and, and drunk that you were an atheist and then Bibles have come up a few times. I know a lot of most 12 step programs have a spiritual aspect to them. So it was, is spirituality, was it, and is it uh, a, a big part of, of recovery? For me, it was huge. And for other people that I, I work with, it's huge. We need to believe in something. And, and most alcoholics will tell you the same story as, as I do that I should have died many times over. I, I, I tried to commit suicide six times and on two occasions. I, I, I succeeded. I was dead. And they brought me back on the side of a road. Now, I tried. To, I, I got to the point, I used to tell people, I can't kill myself. 
They used to jump in front of cars, I'd bounce off the bonnet and I'd land on my feet. It's like, really? You know, I tried to jump off uh, story buildings and, you know, I'd fall backward. It was just, it was, it was stupid. So I knew somebody was looking after me. There is no doubt about that. So spirituality today is, is anything from there's something there. I don't know what it is. So kind of agnostic uh, beliefs to, hey, I have God up there looking after me and he's doing a great job. So, and I don't mean God, the Christian job, God, there's 2,300 uh, 2, gods in the world. So choose any God, just as long as there's a God. I have a spiritual thing that, hey, someone is up there looking at me. Today's going to be a fantastic day. And, and just be your best self today, knowing quite well that you will be rewarded. When you, when you do kind things to people and kind deeds, you'll be rewarded. Life is absolutely amazing. And here's the worst part, guys. You know, I went to bed last night. I was 29. I woke up this morning. I'm 59. That's how quick life goes. Don't wait to do that thing. Don't, don't. I mean, I was watching uh, Jim Carrey give a speech uh, at a graduation. And oh man, he told his story, man. And I got a similar story, but basically his father wanted to, wanted to be a comedian or something. And he, he didn't take the chance, you know, he's scared in case, because he had a family. So he stayed in his normal job. And, you know, two years later, his job fired him. And the guy that he's, was his friend that went instead became a multimillionaire. I mean, there's so many things that we're just scared. Don't be scared, guys. If you're not, if you don't have a little bit of fear every day in your life, you're not living it properly. Right. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I encourage people to like see fear as your go sign, not stop sign anymore. Yes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Fear is your go sign because, you know, things are out there to be accomplished. There's dreams to be conquered. You know, if there's something you haven't done for a long time, stop putting it off. Do it today. My, my in-laws uh, did the same thing. My, my, uh, my, my father, my in-law father, saved and saved and saved and saved, uh, you know, to go away and enjoy himself when they retired. And probably about six weeks after they both retired at 65, uh, the, the, her mother got uh, Alzheimer's and they couldn't go anywhere. And when I tell you they had a million dollars in the bank, normal working people, because that's what they had, and it, and it was just wasted because of what? You don't, don't, don't work all your life to spend 10 years in luxury because it won't happen. Start living today. Do the things today. You know, oh, my dream is to go parachuting. Get it done. You know, get, do it and live life to the full on, on every single day because you don't know when it's your last day. You just don't know. Dr. Rob, what do you, what, what are some of the, th I think there's a lot of things. So what are some of the things you do differently from, from most treatment centers? Well, we work on the problem, not the symptom. So it's not about stopping drinking. That's a guarantee and, and drugging. That's a guarantee. So we work on neural pathways. And uh, the addicted brain is born with self-sabotaging neural pathways. So we work on that using uh, neuro-linguistic pro uh, programming and neuroscience uh, to change that. We also change your behavior. So we're looking at you. We reunite families and we build families up and make sure that everybody's speaking the same language. You see, what happens usually is you have a household that's sick, as well as, say, dad, who's alcoholism. So recovery has its own language. So what happens is, let's say the house speaks German. Let's just say everyone in the house speaks German. We take the guy out there, we take him into the IOP or a normal treatment center, and uh, we teach him recovery, which is, say, Japanese. So now he's fluent in Japanese. Now we stick him back in the German house, where he can't really speak German because he didn't teach. You've got to teach the house Japanese so that when the, when the client goes back into the house, everyone's speaking the same language. 
And, and the statistics go sky high when that's happened because you need a family or friends behind you when you're doing this. You cannot, and I'm stressing this, you cannot do this on your own because the definition of insanity is not being able to see my own truth. And you will never see that you're doing things wrong. You will never know that you're an alcoholic without somebody telling you that or, or have a problem with drugs. Never. It just doesn't happen in one single case. And I've worked with about five and a half thousand people in the last 20, 29, 30 years. So I kind of know what I'm talking about. So today, we, we just, we, we also are concierge. If you want to go to Spain, we'll take you. You know, if you want, you know, to, me to work from eight till nine in the morning or five till six in the morning or 11 till 12 at midnight, we, we build the program around you. Only four people at any one time we take on, but we build a concierge program around you. All you have to do is sit at home, turn on your computer, and we'll start working with you. And we'll come and visit you once a month, wherever you are in the, in the world, we'll come and visit you. And, and, and you'll just have an amazing time. And then all of a sudden, before you know what day it is, the alcohol and the drug compulsion to drink and use will be taken away. Hmm. And you'll have, a, you'll have a strive and a yearning for good life. Hmm. Are there different things that, that get someone clean and healed initially and then different things that make the recovery really last a long time? Yeah, I mean, uh, repetition strengthens and confirms. So one, believe in some sort of spirituality, therefore have the psychic change, psychic mind change, change of mind, neural pathway change, and then a belief. <clears throat> so you've got a spiritual experience, psychic change. I think that's vital for permanent recovery. And here's the great deal. If you have a spiritual awakening and a psychic change, your DNA changes. Mm. So you're not the same person as you was before when you were absolutely crazy, insane, drinking, causing trouble. Your DNA's changed. Therefore, you're a different person. Now you go out and live life to the full. You live life on life's terms. Whatever throws at you, you know, my, my mom died. My, you know, my friends died in recovery. It's not an excuse to drink. That's just being selfish. And believe me, guys, I don't care who you are, where you are, what you're doing, or how little importance you think your life is. It's not. There are people waiting for you to get well so you can pass it on. There are people waiting for you to, to, to make their day. Now, I went into a cake shop the other day, was celebrating my friend's 20th uh, sober birthday. And I went in and it was me and the old lady behind the counter. We started bantering because I'm always talking to people. And she was like, well, if I was 20 years younger, she was about 80, you know, I'd be coming after you. And I'm like, if I was 20 years younger, I was just doing this bantering and we were laughing. And the, the other guys were like, these two are crazy. You know, and we walked away and we came back the next day because they'd, they'd done the cake thing and everything. And me and my assistant walked in and the manager came over and were being served. And the, the lady, the old lady came out from the back and she said, oh, can I have a word with you? And I said, yeah, of course you can. So she took me to one side and what she, what she said changed my life. She said, I want to thank you for yesterday. And I said, well, we was just bantering. You're such a great person. She said, no, no, you don't understand. My husband died five months ago and uh, I've not been able to come in work because of the distress and that stuff. So yesterday was my first day in work and I was nervous and I was scared and I was lonely and you walked in and you made my day. I didn't know that. And you know, I didn't know I had the power to change somebody's life like that just from laughter, but we do. And that's the realization that we need is one, once we recover from the BS that we're going through, which is the alcohol and drugs, we're empowered. I know for a fact and experience that empowered people empower people. And that's what it's about today. Behind every successful person 
is either a couple of people that believe in him or a woman, a wife, or a husband that had the back going, you can do this, you can do this, you can, you know how amazing you are? I mean, even today when I go for big talks or big TV programs, my wife or my assistant will be sat next to me going, you are Dr. Rob Kelly. Do you realize that who you are? Do you realize how powerful? Because I need to hear that stuff. And then I walk on and I kill it every single time. But because I have people in my circle that believe in me, never share your dreams with people who never share your dreams mm. is something I came up with some, some years ago. I'm going to say that again. Never share your dreams with people that never share your dreams. You've got to have people on the same platform as you who are building you up. And when you get up there, guys, take them with you because they're the real friends that you need. Yeah. So it's not about, I think this is a common misperception that it's not about going somewhere. You, you get cleaned up. And so that makes you somehow immune. You go right back to the, the friends, the situation where you were to begin with that, that that's what does not work. Right. No, yeah, it's, that's why the normal treatment centers are two, two and three percent success rate. Because the more times you go back, the more profit they're making. Let's be honest about this, guys. No one else is saying this, by the way, because they're too scared. I don't give a crap. Treatment centers, some treatment centers out there uh, are just money making machines. I don't care if you get well. There's no, there's no, there's no money in recovery. You know, the pharmaceutical companies don't make any money if you get well. You know, everybody in America, the pharmaceutical companies run the world, and they want everybody sick. Because, because they make money out of that. Yeah. So you got to be careful where you go, careful who you speak to, careful where you spend your money if you want to get well. There's got to be permanent recovery. And I have a zest for getting well. I have a zest for life and know quite well. Look how far I, I've gone down and where I am today. I'm nothing special. I'm a guy from the projects. Jesus, if I can do it, anybody can do it. And that's one of the reasons I'm around today. It's not to, to boast. I'm, 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 it's to bear witness to the still alcoholic or addicts. Look at me, guys. Believe me, I'm nothing special. Believe me, I still have days where I can't get out of bed because I'm so depressed. But you know what I do with them days? I tell my wife to get me a big tub of ice cream and a big uh, uh, bottle of cola, and I sit in bed and watch TV all day, and I recognize those days as being down days, and I recognize that I'll never have bad days, but I do have better days than others. And recognize that every single day is a brand new day that's a gift for you where you can change somebody's life. And once you start doing that, believe me, your own life will take off. Mm -hmm. Cool. Do you ever worry about passing on that alcoholic brain? Do you worry about your, your daughters and grandchildren and, and future generations? You're the only person in 15 years of doing this interviews, podcasts, radio, TV, that's asked that question. Yes, I do. Um, I do worry about my two daughters because uh, one of them shows the tenacity, you know, uh, and so I, I do worry about that. Yeah, definitely, definitely worry about that. And I'm just, I'm watching signs with the eldest because the youngest still doesn't speak to me. And, and rightly so, she'll do it when, when it's time. But yeah, I, I do worry about them. But I'll be ready when they do. Mm you know, to bring them over here, they're still in England, and, uh, and work with them intensely. Right. Because I guess that's the, the plus side of if you're someone that recognizes that, then you also recognize what to do about it if you do see those signs in, in, your, in your family. Yeah there, yeah, there are signs well before people go, hey, I've got a drink problem. Yeah. In behavior, in isolation, in traits that they do, you know, they're usually very successful people before we take the downward fall. And whether we had, you know, we don't just work with rock stars and A-list movie stars. We work with road sweepers. We had a guy here once 
that Ozzy wanted to be, he wanted to be the foreman of the road sweeping crew that he was working with. And that was his ambition. And, and, and we worked with him until he, until he got that job. And he's the proudest man in the world. And we're so proud of him, you know, because that was his ambition. It's like there's nothing you can't do once you get on this track. But it's, it's all about self-belief, passing it on, watching for signs. If you're, you know, if, if your mom and dad listening to this and you're worried whether your son or daughter is taking alcohol or drugs, I want to do a couple of things, guys. I don't care what the kid thinks. Search his room when he's out to school. Let's get this stuff properly. Let's talk about this being a deadly disease. Catch him. Have the talk. Make sure he's not an alcoholic or addict, but he's just abusing. You know, catch him. The second, if there's any isolation, doesn't, doesn't come down for dinner, you know, looks tardy, uh, doesn't dress well, doesn't shave if, if he's shaving. Watch for all this stuff of the isolation. That's a huge sign. And listen, guys, if you're out there and you're thinking, well, I've, I've, I know this and I can see this, but who do we, who do we trust? Listen, call me. And I'll tell you why you call me. I don't, I don't want to work with you. You know, I, I, don't, I don't need your money, thank you. Call me for some advice. You spend 15 minutes on the phone with the mom and dad. I'll give you some free advice that will change your life. Guys that are struggling, call me. I'll give you a 15-minute pep talk that will change your life. I guarantee it. Otherwise, I'll give you one of my cars. I will change your life in 15 minutes. Listen to this, guys. This is my personal phone number. You won't get into my staff. You won't get my PA you know, you'll get me. It's 214-600-0210. I'm going to say it again, 214-600-0210. Call me. This is what life's about. If you're an alcoholic or addict, we've got something in common, guys. Call me. And don't think for one second that he's the mighty doctor. I can't speak to him. No, I'm just like you. Me and you are friends because we have the, we have this common solution. Me and you are friends because you need some advice about your daughter, your son, your husband, your wife. Call me. 15 minutes, it'll change your life, I promise you. Uh, are there any specific laws or social policy that need to change to make recovery more possible, more, more likely for more and more people? So it's a well-known fact that, that the mirroring situation works uh, when you're growing up. So if you start hanging around with people that smoke, there's a good chance you're going to smoke. If you hang around the bad kids at school, there's a good chance you're going to be a bad kid at school. You know, one person once told me once, you know, if you earn 30 grand a year, Rob, and you want to earn 40, hang around the people that earn 40 and you'll become one of them people. So yes, you know, stay away from the old crowds you used to go with. You know, for the first six months, stay away from bars and stuff like that. You'll be able to go there eventually. You know, you'll be able to be around alcohol. That's a guaranteed uh, process. But just choose your friends around you and make sure that you choose friends that can share, you know, what you're going through and, and have your back. And just and just try and live a clean life for the first few months that you're trying to get clean and sober. And, and, and life will take on a new meaning. And, and, and try and be honest about it. You know, in the early days, I would go somewhere and I would say to my friends, hey, I have a problem with alcohol. Uh, I can't drink it right now. And they would have my back, you know, because everybody wants to shield the alcoholic from alcohol. And that, that doesn't work. It's been proven not to be successful. Hmm. Remember, it's not the alcohol. It's the brain that's the problem. The alcohol is the symptom. So it's a bit like you saying to me, Andy, I can see you've got chicken pots. I go, how do you know? I can see the spots all over you. No, that's the symptom. The spots are the symptom. What I have is a viral infection that's very dangerous at my age, but you only see the spots. We only see the alcohol. Forget the alcohol. It's the symptom. It's in the brain. So you don't have to be, a, you know, shielded from alcohol because that's an alcohol is not your problem, guys. Mm. You are your problem. 
And when we change the way you think, we change the way you act and behave, then alcohol is de minimis. We don't, we don't even give it a second thought. Can someone have been drinking or using drugs for so long that their brain is so damaged that the, the ability to heal is gone, the neuroplasticity is, is not there? Yes, there is, especially with alcoholics. Uh, the, the, uh, the name on the street is called wet brain. So when you get past that, uh, there's no coming back. The damage is done uh, to the nerve endings. The damage is done to the receptors and neural pathways are completely damaged uh, and, and unable to change. So if you look at freeway that has a split in it, one way you can go to good, one way you can go to bad. Uh, you've been going down the bad one so long that the new one's got bricks on it. It's got moss on it. It's undrivable. It's the same thing there. And, and when you get to that stage, there is no God. There is no help. You're done. You, you can't come back. Yeah. And with the liver, it's 40%. When you step over the 40% of your liver damage, cirrhosis, there's no coming back from that. Yeah. But the liver is very resilient until 40%. So there's a couple of things that will get you, but uh, you have to be really severely damaged for that to happen. So there is hope for all. Okay. You know, if, you, if you can pick, pick uh, uh, some literature up and read it, you're good. You're good to go. Yeah. You can cool. get well. Cool. So you mentioned uh, your book earlier, the Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that? So obviously the book's from the title, uh, and, and people kept saying to me, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. You know, with my Abbey Road days, with my uh, you know wealthy days, and my poor days, and my wealthy, you know, it's gone up and down. So I did one day, and uh, it was my wife that said, what was the last thing your daughter said to you, Charlotte? And I said, Daddy, Daddy, oh my God, yes, that's what we need to use. So we used that, and it was about three or four years ago. And I have to give all credit to my wife because I, I, I couldn't write the book. I give a piece of paper with, with notes and scrap papers and tapes with me wobbling on, and she put it all together. So we were still worried because, you know, I had pictures of my daughter, but that's why my daughter come back in my life. And then we asked her, could I use this? And, and me or her are on the cover. So it's Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking. And here's the cool about cool part about it so it's on amazon only so search it if you want to read it uh, the the electronic download is free so do that if you can if you can't order it because all the proceeds not all the profits all the proceeds so every i think it's at 10.99 every dime of your 10.99 will go back into communities with people that are suffering or families that are suffering we spent two hundred fifty thousand dollars last year going back into the community that we did mm. that's out of my pocket andy that isn't collections because that's how much we have to give back. So everything you spend on that book will, will go back into the communities. And that's what we do. Uh, if you're a one-parent family uh, who has children and you're trying to recover and you're in a 12-step program, we'll buy you them kids' presents for Christmas and birthday. We'll pay six months of your rent for you till you get back on your feet. We might even buy that little car for you to get them to nursery. Hey, we'll pay for the nursery for you. Hey, your kid's in school and wants to do that music program? We have a music program at Rob Kelly Recovery Group. We'll pay for that kid for two years. And if he learns the instrument and he's really good at it after two years, we'll buy him a brand new instrument so he can continue to be a musician just like I am. So there's loads of stuff going on, and it all came from Daddy, Daddy, Please Stop Drinking. It's unreal. Oh, very cool. Um, Rob, your story is amazing. I'm so glad you're out there being of service, helping people reclaim their lives and, and you know, bounce back higher than never thought possible from that, that personal rock bottom point that we talked about. So what's the best way for people to, to find you, to learn more, to connect with you? If you're listening to this uh, in the car, I spell my name with two Bs. So it's R-O-B-B-K-E-L-L-Y.com is the website. 
or just put Dr. Rob Kelly into Google and you'll find all the platforms are there. It's either Dr. Rob Kelly or Rob Kelly Recovery Group. Uh, send us a message, give us a like, try and follow us, send us a message. You can do all that. We're always here to talk to you, to chat. And uh, we also have a radio program that goes out uh, on Facebook and 65 other platforms on a Wednesday evening, 8 p.m. Central Time. There's all sorts of different guests. Randy Grimes, the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, will be on uh, on Wednesday. So it's always something to listen to. So whatever your situation, guys, we got you covered. Cool, cool. Very good. So uh, we'll have links to all that at the, the blog at realmanfield.org. So if you couldn't get all that, but we'll have, uh, we'll have the link to the book so you can uh, support that. And Daryl of uh, Rob's contact information, social media platforms. And uh, again, um, thanks for being you, man. Thanks. Thanks for deciding to make a change. Thanks for getting back up. Uh, thanks for sharing yourself. Thanks for, thanks for swearing to people. Thanks for making people <laughs> give a shit. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it's what's needed. And more, especially men, we got to make more yes. noise. Too, too many guys just die in silence. That's, that's the problem we have. And that's when I love real men feel. He's like, come on, guys. Stand up, you know, it's the, you're not a less of a man if you're struggling with something, depression, bipolar, alcoholism, it makes no difference. That's why people are, are like Andy and me are here. You know, we've been through it. We're here. We're not going away. We're not being quiet about it. And we need you to join us, guys. So come on, there's recovery after this stuff better than you've ever imagined. Believe me. Yeah. yeah. L- life really does get better and better. Um, it really, it, it, yeah, it's uh, so many cliches about how good you can feel and the power of gratitude and service. They, I've, they've just proven to be true time and time again for me. I, yeah, I used to hate them, you know, <laughs> oh, life will get better. I'm like, shut up. Will you, you know, I'm living on the streets. How the hell can life get any better? Like, oh, just one day at a time. You know, if you're kind to people, I'm, like, I'm going to be kind to people. I hate people. And then all of a sudden you find out that you're the person saying that. And there's probably other people going, well, I mean, there's, there's a there's a prime moment that I'll just tell you before you go is I used to go to a 12-step meeting and uh, I used to see this guy who was about 58, 60, and he wore red shoes, red socks. Red, his favorite color was red. Red pants, red shirt, and a red watch. Man, I was like, well, you dress your age. You know, you're nearly 60. What's wrong with you? I used to despise that guy. I've turned into that guy. Mm-hmm. I dye my hair blonde. I wear crazy color scrubs usually. I've got sneakers that the kids wears. I have 72 pairs. I drive a Mercedes McLaren. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely one of them old guys that won't get young. And I know there's people out going, Rob Kelly, will you grow up? Never. I'm always going to be this way because life is about living. So if you're sat there going, well, you know, come on, call us, me or Andy. Call out. Let's go. Let's make life amazing once yeah. and for all. Because yeah. remember, guys, isn't about you. It's about the people that are waiting for you to get well so you can help them. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a mission and just time to get on yours. Really. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Rob, thanks again. Thanks for listening. Um, connect with us, send us some email, give us a like, give us a share or view wherever you're finding real men feel. And if you're looking for a place to meet more men, if you want more male friends in your life and to not die alone, to not be in that silence, visit realmenfeel.org slash gift. There's a little report of all sorts of places, physical and virtual, to meet like-minded men. That'll put you in the newsletter so you know about future guests. You'll know about behind-the-scenes secrets of the show, all sorts of good stuff. And this episode was brought to you by mensgroup.com. Visit mensgroup.com slash RMF, and you can try a men's group for free. It's virtual. It's online. You can join from anywhere. And give yourself a safe place to speak, to share, to grow, and to make a better life for you. You deserve it. 
Be good to yourself. Thank you for listening to Real Men Feel. Contact us at realmenfeel at gmail.com. Learn more about author, coach, and healer Andy Grant at theandygrant.com. If you enjoyed this episode, it would help us greatly if you gave a review wherever you are listening right now. It takes less than a minute and helps other people discover Real Men Feel.